I have one question today. Youth meeting tonight is ugly sweater night, right? Is this an ugly sweater? I, is this ugly? It's a sweater. I am paranoid about, I have like a dozen sweaters. I'm paranoid about wearing any of them because I, I'm just glad we don't have an ugly face day or something like that. I don't know. I was just inspired to say that. Can I tell an old joke? It's actually a true story. A woman tells when her husband and she were returning home from their childbirth class at Manhattan's Beekman Hospital. And the taxi driver, his name was Mr. Ho, noticed her obvious pregnancy, so he proceeded to tell them about his wife's experience at the same hospital. She'd been admitted on December 24th, and the next day, December 25th, delivered twins and the visitor, or triplets, and visitors and staff were amused Christmas morning when they saw the newborns in the nursery and read the names on the three bassinets. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> Haven't you heard that before? It's actually a true story. And Christmas is and should be a joyous time. And as Christians, when we consider what, what God did coming to earth, you just cannot help to sense some joy, no matter what else may going, be going on in your life. And all this month, we've been talking about God's gifts to us. He gives us hope. He gives us Jesus. And today, through Jesus, we receive joy. And next Sunday, we'll talk about the gift of salvation. After Mary and Joseph were told about uh, Jesus coming, who were the first humans who heard the news of the birth of Jesus, according to Scripture? After Mary and Joseph. The shepherds. Okay. Why the shepherds? Because there's something special about being the first to know. In fact, most people want to be the first to know. TV stations say, you heard it here first, you know. Gossips love to be the first to hear the news and spread the news. And if you want to ruin a gossip's day, you just say, well, that's old news. Everybody knew that. Takes all the fun out of it. People want to be the first to know. Why the shepherds? Why should they have it announced to them first? Uh, here's some possibilities. One is to fulfill prophecy. Isaiah 61.1 tells us the poor will have the good news preached to them. Jesus said the last shall be first. And the shepherds were poor. And they were also at the bottom of the socioeconomic scale. So it makes sense that they'd be the first to hear, fulfills prophecy. And it could be, it was also to provide a tie to Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus would care for his sheep and seek out the lost sheep. He would have his own flock. And so it makes sense that the good shepherd would have the news announced to shepherds. And also possibly to provide a tie to David. David was the shepherd king. And Jesus is the son of David, and like his ancestor, he would be a shepherd and a king. We don't know exactly why shepherds were the first to hear, but those are some possibilities. Today, we're going to focus mostly on the shepherds and their joy. There's three words for joy in the Greek language in the New Testament, and all three fit the Christmas season. One word is the word for the subjective feeling of joy, the emotion, the Greek word uh, sounds a little bit like our word euphoria, the feeling euphoric joy. Another word is more about the outward demonstration of joy, expressing it, clapping and dancing and smiling and giggling. You know, sometimes on Sunday morning, some people raise their hands. And with some people, I want to say, you know, we're singing a joyful song. We're singing about all that Jesus has done for us. Would you please notify your face? And there should be some evidence of our joy in fact, I want you to look at the person next to you and just look at that face. Is it joyful right now? Okay, some are good, some. So, joyful emotion, 
joyful demonstration, but by far the most common word in the New Testament is objective reasons for joy. In the Bible, this word for joy is what God has objectively done for us. He's given us some reasons for joy, even if other circumstances may not be wonderful. Now, we're going to read the text, and I have asked if Konji would come and read the text for us. Come on up. Konji, I appreciate you're doing this. Our text contains, as she reads this, the two latter words for joy, the demonstration and the reasons for joy, but there's obviously some emotional subjective joy too, so... Have at it. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in that, and, and in that region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Be not afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will come to you. All the people, for you to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in a swaddling cloth laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And the angels went away from them in the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, and which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, and the babe laying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying which had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the age shepherds told them. But Mary kept all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. Very good. Thank you, Konji. Appreciate that. So there is joy here, but before we get to that, there's other reactions to the birth of Christ too. One, for instance, is fear. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, it says they were terrified uh, suddenly this bright light and angels shocked them in the middle of the night, so it makes sense. I remember one time in the middle of the night, I was terrified by someone banging on the front door. It was about 2 a.m., and both my wife and I pop up and go, what's that? And it pounded again, and the pounded si pounding sounded like someone's really mad. I don't know, if you pound on a door, you sound mad, don't you? And one thing I hate about being a man, you have to be the brave one. I aren't that brave, and it just so happened that a few day, days earlier, I'm, I'm not kidding, I had been threatened by an angry ex-husband, and he was a little unstable, and that's my first thought, that guy is drunk, and he's coming after me. And so my wife says, well, you going to go and see who's there? Yeah. So I go to the door, and it happened to me, my father-in-law, which was a little scary, but not too bad. And my father-in-law at that time drove cars for a dealer, and he happened to be in the area. He was 500 miles away from his home, and so he stops in at 2 a.m. to crash. Whew. Well, these shepherds see this light in the middle of the night, angels out of nowhere. If you can put yourself there, and the first reaction is wet your pants, right? And then when Mary and Joseph, when they received their angel uh, vision. I'm guessing they were afraid too. So there's a lot of fear at the first Christmas. Over in Matthew, Herod was afraid this child was a threat to him. J. Vernon McGee 
There's a radio preacher from years ago who said, when the supernatural touches the natural, it always creates fear. When people get close to God, there's a natural nervousness. God is frightening. In fact, if there is no fear of God, we probably don't really get it. Let me give you a couple of reasons people fear God today. One is fear of punishment. And it's a natural fear because we are unclean, and when God gets near, we're like Isaiah says, woe is me. Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I am a wicked man. His holiness highlights our corruption, and I know I need to be punished. I deserve it. I know I'm not perfect. And so there is some people who fear punishment. But I think today a greater fear is people are afraid of God because they fear sacrifice. I think this is the big one. We're afraid that God will make us do things we don't want to do, so we keep our distance, and, you know, don't get too close. If my kids get too committed to Jesus, why, they might become missionaries, go halfway around the world. And I like material things, and if I get too close to God, He might ask me to be generous, and I don't want to give that up. Uh, I, I, I like my free time, and if I get too close, He might expect me to give some time and energy to Him. And I don't want to give those up, and we're afraid of commitment, afraid of getting too close to God, and especially in this non-committal culture, culture we live in today. So fear is a big reaction at the birth of Christ, and it's still a reaction today. Another reaction is when the shepherds spread the word, there was amazement. It said, all who heard them wondered at what they said, wonder, amazement, same idea there. And these people had been waiting for a Messiah for centuries. And when you wait and wait and wait, can you imagine waiting centuries? And then it finally happens. Is it possible he's really here? Maybe a good word for this wonder or amazement would be hopeful confusion. They hope, but no one thought the Messiah would come this way, and so they wonder. And notice it says people were amazed and they wondered when they heard the report from the shepherds, but there's no record that they went to check out Jesus for themselves. Apparently, they went back to their daily lives, so just being amazed and wonder at what God has done is not enough. It needs to lead some, to some action. The third reaction is Mary. She kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Reflection. Pondering is asking, what does this mean? What are the implications? What's going to be different from now on? And these various reactions should not surprise us because people respond to Jesus in the same way today. Some are amazed, and yet they don't necessarily go and seek Him out for themselves. Some are afraid because it really does take courage to follow Jesus. And some ponder Him at a deeper level and contemplate. But the overriding reaction in these first two chapters of Luke, just read through Luke 1 and 2 this week and highlight all the references to joy. 114 in predicting John the Baptist's birth who is the forerunner of the Messiah, the angel said, he will be a joy and a delight to you. When John the Baptist was still a baby in Elizabeth's womb, it says he leaped in joy when Mary and Elizabeth met. 147, it says, she sang, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 158, the neighbors shared the joy. 210, to the shepherds, good noise of great joy. And then verse 20, they were glorifying and praising God. A lot of joy throughout this text. And so, to go along with the three words for joy, I want to suggest three sources of joy, and all three are in the Bible. One is, I'm going to call this the lowest level, things, pleasure. It's the pleasure we get from toys or gifts or food or new cars, new carpet, money, 
trips to Six Flags, going to Disney, pleasurable things. Um, and there is pleasure in good things, and it's okay. But that's the lowest level. And if all your joy is found in that, then it's pretty incomplete. The next source of joy are relationships. Love, friendship, fellowship. I call this the happiness level. This is the Hallmark Channel level. How many of you watch Hallmark? Okay, yeah, yeah. I think everybody in first service, we had 20 people in first service. Uh, anyway, Hallmark Channel, they have more Christmas movies than you can shake a stick at. But anyway, it's when the relationships are good, life is just better. Now, if your relationships go back to that first level and your relationships are about pleasure, that's not good. If relationships are just to bring me pleasure, that's when we start using people like we use things. So relationships have to be a higher level than pleasure. We enjoy giving to one another. Families, of course, bring a lot of happiness and joyful times and a lot of work, of course, too. But this is a higher level than things. But the highest level comes from God. Being in relationship with Him, loving Him, this is the deepest level of joy, a gladness that transcends and is deeper than pleasure or happiness. Pleasure and things are quick, like a flash of lightning, doesn't last. Relationships are deeper, but they don't last, like a sunny day. They last longer, but sunny days end. Only God is eternal, steady and abiding like a fixed star and always there. Jesus said to the disciples, no one will take away your joy. Now, I can make a case that God's joy and the pleasure of things are actually often opposed to one another. The things that bring me pleasure, like watching a TV show or watching a football game or going to an amusement park, there's fun and there's pleasure involved in that. But I usually don't sense a lot of meaningful, deep joy from those things. In fact, sometimes it's the opposite effect. If all I do is watch football on TV all day long on into the night, I feel gross at the end of the day. There's no joy in that. On the other hand, some of the things that don't necessarily bring pleasure um, are the things that actually bring joy. Uh, most people don't consider going to the nursing home a pleasurable activity, but it actually brings a lot of joy. It's not necessarily fun, but the result is joy. I remember when our son Josh was a boy uh, and he cleaned his room. I think he cleaned it once in 18 years. And he came out almost surprised in a shocked way. It, man, it just feels good to have a clean room. Well, I know it wasn't fun to clean it, but there was some satisfaction and joy in it. Now, things, relationships, those are gifts from God. God gives us gifts that are temporary, but He also gives us a gift that is eternal. And we are to enjoy all levels of those gifts. He gives us food, but it's temporary. He gives us friends, but friends can move. He gives us health, but our health won't last. He gives us children. They grow up and leave. He gives us, even marriage is temporary. But when God gave us His Son, it's an eternal joy. What a gift. So, three truths. I want to notice three truths about the joy of these shepherds. Number one, joy can break through the mundane. Shepherding was not an exciting job. It was boring. Once in a while, you'd have to ward off a wild animal or maybe go hunt down a lost sheep. But other than that, it's a lot of monotony. There's an airline pilot who's talking about his job, and he says, you know, it looks like such a glamorous job, but my job is basically a glorified bus driver, 99% boredom interspersed with 1% panic. 
Some of you have pretty boring jobs, and you go to work the same time, you do the same thing with the same machines or the same people, not a lot of excitement. Young mothers, uh, you have tedious job. Every day you're wiping noses, changing diapers, running a taxi service, answering the same questions over and over and over. I heard of a surgeon that once said, after operating a number of times, you get to a point where you hope something goes wrong to challenge you and break the boredom. I hope that doesn't happen when he's operating on me. Older people can have pretty boring days. But for the Christian, the joy of the gospel breaks through the mundane. We have a joy, no matter how boring our daily lives may be. Our lives are not meaningless. There is a purpose. There is a future, and there's a reason for being. Thomas Chalmers said the grand essentials of joy are something to do, something to love, and something to hope for. And in Christ, we have something to do, His mission to the world, something, someone to love, of course, Him and our neighbors, and something to hope for. So the shepherds returned glorifying God, went back to their mundane jobs, but their lives would never be the same again. Second, notice that joy overcomes fear. The first word to the shepherds, fear not, do not be afraid. Now, I suggested two fears that people have today. One is fear of punishment. God is holy, I am not. I deserve to die. But when I get to know why He sent His Son and know His grace, the fear of punishment is replaced by the joy of forgiveness. First John says, love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So the angels say, don't be afraid. This is good news. A Savior is born to you, not a punisher. And the other fear is fear of sacrifice, and there is sacrifice in following Christ. I'm not going to dilute that. And we're afraid we won't like it, but any sacrifice will be rewarded. I find that, generally speaking, the most joyous people in the church have a sacrificial commitment to the Lord. And when I don't sacrifice and live for myself, that's when I get depressed and angry and my home life suffers and my emotional life suffers. But when I live for Christ and am giving of myself, there tends to be more of that joy. It eliminates fear of punishment and fear of sacrifice, this joy. And then third, joy is based on the truth of the gospel. The main word for joy in these first two chapters is not the emotional joy and it's not the expressive joy, it's the objective reason for it. The shepherds went to see what happened. Let's make sure it's true. Lasting joy is based on truth. This is the Savior of the world. It's a historical, verifiable fact that Jesus was born and did die and did rise from the dead. Now, I'm afraid some people, even some Christians, treat the Jesus story like a fairy tale. They may not mean to, but in practice, it's almost like a Santa Claus story. So we celebrate the season, we have good feelings, we make it a time of holiday greetings and well wishes, but it's not really real to them. That will not bring joy. Sentiment does not last. And Christmas without Christ is just shallow. So the shepherds, check it out. We're going to see if it's true. And I imagine after they got there, they told Mary and Joseph what they'd seen and heard. Mary and Joseph told them what the, what, uh, about what, told them what the angels had said to them. And they knew when they shared stories, this was collaborating evidence. It was not a coincidence. God is doing something special. And the shepherds returned praising God. The joy of Jesus Christ is not wishful thinking. And it's not because of sentiment. Peter said, we did not tell you cleverly invented stories. We were eyewitnesses. And this is real. It's a joy that endures because it's true.
when my wife was dying of cancer, we both came to the point in that past, that last year, that it had been, in many ways, one of the most joyous years of our lives. Doesn't make sense. But we just reflected on the depth of our relationship was deeper than ever, and the confidence that comes knowing Jesus, reading Scripture just meant so much more, just a lot of deep joy. It wasn't fun, no pleasure, but there was joy. So I want to challenge you to ask, what level are you at? Are you at the pleasure level? It's all about gifts and tinsel and music. Won't last. Are you at the happiness level where it's about relationships, family, and people? That's good. But if that's it, that's not the real joy that comes only from God, and it's the only one that lasts. Now, last week, we had printed some Advent scriptures for you to read, one a day to prepare your hearts and minds and souls for Christmas, and not just preparing trees and food and decorations and gifts, but preparing yourself in Christ. So you may pick one up there at the tables as you leave, if you didn't get one last week, and just read one a day, contemplate it, ponder it, think about it, and say a little prayer, and get in touch with the Lord each day until Christmas Day. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this time of year, it's a naturally joyful time, but I just pray we will have the deepest joy that comes only through our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. I pray for every one of us here today that we will grow closer to you over the next seven days, that we will have a depth of a Christmas that perhaps we've never had before, in tune and in touch with you and your son. I pray this in Jesus' name.